Hi, it's Pastor Dudley, and I want to thank you for coming to Shepherd Church today. We have been blessed with an incredible service. I want to welcome all three campuses, Aqua Dulce, Woodland Hills, and Porter Ranch. And I must wish a happy Mother's Day to all of the wonderful mothers who are here today. You deserve all the praise and gratitude that we can possibly direct towards you. Why, none of us would be here without our mothers. And so we just want to express our appreciation to you. As most of you know, this last year, my father passed from this life until the next, and he's with Jesus today, and we rejoice with that. My mother is 89 years of, of age and still lives in Fresno by herself, still drives her car, goes to church twice every week, goes to life groups and Bible studies, and I just decided that this Mother's Day, I needed to go and be with her up there at that church, Cross City Church in Fresno, where my brother pastors. And so I approached my sweet wife, Renee, I didn't know if she would, but I asked her if she would be willing to fill in and to teach this particular weekend, Mother's Day, here at Shepherd Church. Now, she thought about it, she prayed about it, and finally she agreed to do so. And uh, I know that some of you know her, but probably most of you don't know my better half, but you've all heard of Superman. She's a superwoman. And uh, you've always been so kind to me and appreciative of, of our ministry, but this is actually a chance for you to get to know her and to express your love and appreciation for my wife, Renee. Uh, I tell you, and I, I mean this uh, with all of my heart, the ministry that we have here at this church, uh, everything that is good about this church, it, it flows out of her goodness and her blessing in my life and her support and her encouragement over all these years. She is one of the most remarkable women on this planet. Uh, we've been married a long, long, long time, and we have three of the greatest children and a couple of the world's greatest grandchildren, and she's been my partner uh, every step of the way, my best friend. You are going to be blessed today. I want you to put your hands together and welcome the greatest wife, the greatest partner, the greatest grandma. We know her as the nanny goat. Let's welcome her as she comes to speak to us here today. Well, that's, thank you. <laughs> thank you, honey. I think he's gonna get to watch this, so. Happy Mother's Day, everyone. Um, I wanna start off this morning with a story about when I was a little girl, about 10 years old. My mom knocked on my bedroom door one night just after I'd gone to bed. Honey, are you awake? Yes, Mom, I said. She opened the door, walked across the room, and sat down right next to me at my bedside. I've been thinking about something, and I have a question for you. What question, I ask. And from out of nowhere, this was her question. Honey, do you want to be wise? Now, as a 10-year-old, that caught me off guard a bit. I remember sort of shrugging my shoulders, and in the quiet of the night, I responded, well, I guess so. 
with a why are you asking me this sort of question or inflection, she went on. James says that if anyone needs wisdom, all they have to do is ask God for it. And so honey, would you like to have wisdom from God? Mom, I don't know why I wouldn't. Okay honey, why don't we just ask God for it? And she went on and prayed a prayer with me that night for wisdom. Then she kissed me goodnight, said I love you, and walked out of the room. Now, I don't know what was going on in her mother's heart that night, but I have never forgotten it. Have you ever felt like you could use more wisdom? A little better discernment, perhaps? I know I have. I can't tell you how many times in my adult life that my heart has gone back to that night. We live in such a complicated world, full of conflicting information, hidden agendas, power plays, and outright chaos, right? This is life in a fallen world. In Ephesians, Paul said that because the days are evil, we should be careful to live life wisely and not foolishly. Paul knew that every day we would be in need of godly wisdom and discernment. In John 17, Jesus asked God not to take us out of this world, but to keep us safe from Satan's power. Jesus knew that all of us would experience difficulty in this world. He knew there would be trouble. He knew there would be confusion. He knew there would be chaos and controversy. But from his prayer in John 17, it's pretty clear that our assignment is to be right here in the middle of all of it. Right here in the middle of all of it, holding fast to the pure and perfect truth of God's word. Amen? And if you'll do that, you can grow in wisdom, you can grow in confidence, you can be safe from Satan's power, you can have peace that passes understanding, you can be filled with joy, and guess what else happens when we are equipped with godly wisdom to navigate life in a, in a fallen world? Daniel 12.3 says this, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of heaven. God put us right here in the middle of all of it to be a light. Wisdom makes our light shine brighter. Anybody wanna sign up for that? Okay. In the letter of 1 John, John seems to be bent on helping the believer grow and walk in better discernment. I think one reason is because John himself grew to become such a different person than who he was as a young man. This ambitious, rather impetuous, bold, and truth-seeking young man who was dubbed one of the sons of thunder by Jesus himself became this humble, compassionate, still bold and truth-seeking apostle of love. 
John became a beautiful example of the truth and the love that he experienced personally in the life of Jesus Christ. John opens the letter of 1 John in a similar way that he opened the Gospel of John by unequivocally declaring the truly divine nature of Jesus as well as the truly human nature of the Son of God. And right out of the chute, John sets forth this clear distinctive. Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man. And as we grasp and marvel at that, we are set on the road to better discernment. John uses comparisons and contrast to help the believer walk in wisdom. So here is today's 316 text. Won't you read it with me? 1 John 316, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life, so also we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. On this Mother's Day weekend, this mama hopes to lay out for you four insights straight from this 1 John 3.16 text. Number one, this is how we know. 1 John is addressed to believers, not a particular church, so it's assumed to be a circular letter or a letter that's handed around to Christians from place to place. This older, wiser, gentler John is offering loving guidance to a widespread audience, and we are a part of that audience. It is as relevant today as it was in the first century. Why is it relevant? Well, for two reasons, I think. Number one, God's truths are timeless. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And number two, I'm reminded of Solomon's words, there's nothing new under the sun. The issues that John is addressing in the first century church are hardly different than the issues that we face today. So what was going on? Two words, false teaching. False teachers were arising from within the church and they were perverting fundamental truth or principles of Christianity. I think we see this today. Supplemental ideas not found in God's word that lead us away from the absolute authority of scripture. The ideas and the words sound good, they sound familiar, but things are twisted and eventually it begins to cast doubt on essential Christian doctrine. So John is encouraging the believers to test everything. This is how we know, this is how we know, this is how we know. If you flip through the pages of this letter, you'll find that phrase or something similar at every turn of the page. This is how we know, this is how we know. I have a friend who owns an interior design business in Kansas City. Now stay with me, men, you'll get through this. <laughs> One day, we were talking about paint colors for a nursery, and she suggested that I use a color called periwinkle. 
To which I replied, is that more of a blue or more of a lavender? And here's what she said, it's both. If you hold it up to lavender, it looks blue. But if you hold it up to blue, it looks lavender. And I think that's what John is doing. He's providing ways for us to distinguish and discern truth. In this letter, you will see comparisons and contrast. You'll see words like light and dark, light and, light and dark, life and death, love and hate, truth and lies. This is how we know, this is how we know, this is how we know. And what do we need to know more than anything else? That's our second point. This is how we know what love is. Now, trying to know what love is is certainly a pursuit that's common to man. Look no further than pop culture, or maybe I should say pop history, because in 1984, a popular British-American group called Foreigner came out with a song called I Want to Know What Love Is. It's as if they were reading our text, right? Whitney Houston sang a song called, How Will I Know If He Really Loves Me? And Cher recorded a song with these lyrics. If you wanna know if he loves you so, it's in his kiss. That's right. And by the way, young ladies, that last lyric, it's in his kiss, that's false teaching. <laughs> Such a spiritual church. Um, you might, it might show up every once in a while in his kiss, but I'd say for the long haul, if you really wanna know if he loves you so, you will see it in his faithfulness, in his patience, <laughs> in his kindness, in his goodness, and quite possibly on many occasions you will find it in his wallet or the way he spends his money. <laughs> but that's not really the kind of love that John is talking about, right? John is referring to what the Greeks called agape love. Agape love is sacrificial. It's the highest kind of love. It's a love that serves with humility. It's a love of the will. It chooses to put the welfare of others above our own. It's not an impulse or a sentiment. If you love someone with agape love, there's no room for pride, there's no room for arrogance, there's no room for self-centeredness, and that's a pretty high bar for most of us because we're human, right? Although, sidebar, I suspect there is a reason why my husband chose this 316 text on Mother's Day weekend. A mother's love is very sacrificial. On this Mother's Day weekend, let me just say that I believe with my whole heart that God wired women 
for a special kind of nurture, a facet of agape love that is uniquely female. When women, go ahead, thank you. When women reflect this beautiful agape quality that mirrors the image of God, we become a powerful influence in our homes, in our churches, in our communities, and in our world. I'm digressing a bit, but the intuitive nature in me as a woman and as a mama believes some things need to be said. A famous psychiatrist, Carl Menninger, who died in the 90s, said this, love cures people, both the ones who give it and the ones who receive it. And since then, there has been an explosion of information in the area of neuroscience on the effects of attachment and bonding to mental health. Attachment is the very foundation of forming healthy relationships, and I believe it starts very early in life, even before a baby is ever born. They say that little ones can hear and recognize their mama's voice by 25 weeks in utero, and it's pretty well documented that just looking at and smiling at your baby helps to open up those neural pathways for love and healthy intimacy. And what happens in those earliest days of life will bear out in profound ways over a lifetime. Sacrificial love is literally the heartbeat of heaven and it's never more evident than in the heart of a mother. Isaiah 49:15 says this, can a woman forget her nursing child or have no compassion on the son of her womb? I think Isaiah is implying that not normally could this ever happen, but even if these forget, he continues, God will never forget us. Amen? You see, the whole counsel of God displays the incredible design and value of women, all women, mamas, sisters, daughters, aunties, girlfriends, wives, grandmas, and even nanny goats, as my kids call me. From the very beginning of the Bible, we see that God, way back in Genesis, we see that God created the first female. The two Hebrew words used there to describe the woman are a rich, vibrant entrustment and endorsement for every female. And all the way through scripture, we see beautiful examples of women, regardless of their status in the cultures of their day, they were operating in godly, powerful, wise, and influential ways. And oh, beloved, from my mama's heart to all of you, if anyone tries to tell you that there can be no distinction between male and female, first of all, 
it's a sorrowful commentary for our culture. But worse, it's a blatant denial of the truth of God's word. And I believe it's incredibly demeaning to the critical, vital, and honorable role of women in the world. So sad. Okay, deep breath. <laughs> John is trying to establish what love is. So let's look at the one true and perfect standard to help us know what love is. Number three, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life. Right, go ahead, that's <laughs> something to clap about. <laughs> right in the center of this 316 text, we have our litmus test for love. Anything that does not look like Jesus cannot be love. Let me say that again. Anything that does not look like Jesus cannot be love. You know, it's tempting to sort of glide over those words, laid down his life, but let's not miss the intensity of it because it's intense. <laughs> the crucifixion of Jesus was heinous and horrible and dark and excruciating. Jesus did not want to go to the cross. He asked God to let this cup pass from me. But what can wash away our sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So he chose to lay down his life. The Greek reads more like he put down his soul. He went the distance for us. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, he gave us his everything. And this demonstration of love stands in history as the supreme example of love. Why is it supreme? Let's look at it with what I would like to call a series of eight most, M-O-S-T-S. This most perfect, sinless man loved you the most that anyone ever could. He chose to humble himself in the most amazing way. He gave the most that he had, his very life, his soul, to meet your most critical need, access to God and salvation. And he did it to bring you the most joy you could ever know. He did it with the most pure motive to glorify the most high. That most certainly is supreme. And this divine example of love is evidence of his divine nature. You know, if Jesus had not been the Son of God, then his death at the hands of the Romans still would have been heinous and horrible. But that doesn't even really begin to describe what happened. 
The crucifixion of Jesus sparked a movement that has lasted over two millennia. Its significance is mind-boggling because it marks a victory that cannot ever, ever, ever be overturned. <laughs> Amen. And literally, all hell is mad about it, right? Spoiler alert. <laughs> Jesus loves, Jesus wins, and Jesus saves. Amen. Amazing love, how can it be that my Jesus would die for me? That is love in every way. John, this aged disciple, was absolutely enamored with the love of Jesus. He was the very last living apostle to walk with the Lord. He never even names himself in this letter, but simply identifies himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. Can you imagine this elderly vintage John must have reminisced about the day that he and his brother got out of that boat to follow Jesus? My, what a difference one day can make, right? He must have had the most exhilarating highs and of course, devastating lows. But what stands out in this letter is his love for Jesus. And I think John longed for us to experience this same fellowship with God. Regardless of our circumstances, we can have joy and blessed assurance because Jesus has secured us for all of eternity. Amen? So John connects this divine example of Jesus' love with a challenge for us, and that's our last point. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life, so also we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If you really wanna know what love is, you have to look at Jesus and what he did by laying down his life then we should be compelled to lay down our lives for each other. Let that sink in. What does that mean for you? How can we integrate that? How can we make that personal? I like the two verbs in the very next verse. 1 John 3, 17 begins this way. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, what do you have and what do you see? Trust me, God will orchestrate the opportunities. I love the story written by Genevieve Pichuro, who wrote a book called Purpose, Passion, and Pajamas. She was an executive marketing director, enjoying her career, but found herself wanting more from life. So she found a local shelter and started reading books to children there who had experienced trauma. One night, she followed the staff as they took the kids to where they would sleep. What she saw broke her heart. Two or three kids piled together on sofas and futons strewn across the room 
in the clothing they had worn that day, many of them crying and lights out. Her heart went back to the way she had been raised in a family of four kids and the sweet bedtime routines that she had known as a child. And from that was born a beautiful ministry established to meet the needs of these kids with a new pair of pajamas and a new bedtime routine. I'll let you read the book, but no doubt she took what she had and used it to meet the needs that she saw. Powerful, what do you have and what do you see? When we first look at Jesus, it will mark a distinction that should naturally spill over into the way that we love ourselves, the way that we love our spouses, the way that we love our children and our families, the way that we love our church family, and really the way that we treat everyone in our spheres of influence. Let's go back over this once again, and I'm hoping you'll have it memorized by the time we leave here. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life, so also we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. When Dudley asked me to do this back in February, after a deep gulp, my first response was, I want to be brave. I was thinking of that Proverbs 31 woman and those words, noble character. Did you know that word in Hebrew is shayil? Some of our English translations use the word valor, which gets closer to that quality of bravery that we see in that beautiful Hebrew word. Women of God, what brave thing is God calling you to do? We all need to hold up scripture and make every effort to pattern our lives around the truth of God's word. Amen? Ephesians 5.18 reminds us to keep being filled by his spirit. And as we do that, God will lead our hearts to walk more closely in truth, in discernment, and in wisdom. Are you awake? <laughs> I hope I haven't put you to sleep. <laughs> I have a question for you. Do you want to be wise? My mama taught me that God's word says that whoever needs wisdom should just ask God for it. And God who gives generously without finding fault will give it to you. Amen. For the women and the mamas here today, whether God has given you biological children or set your heart to minister to, give care, spiritually mentor, or take care of someone in your life, be discerning. Ask God for wisdom. Like John, call to mind his love for you and draw your strength from there. 
And if any of you are feeling weary and war-torn today in this chaotic and decaying world, let him carry you like a little lamb close to his heart. Let him cover you with his feathers. Don't those Bible metaphors remind you of a mama? They have ministered to my heart. Just keep running back to Jesus, who is rich in mercy and can redeem absolutely everything in our lives. Remember Dudley talked about just a few weeks ago, Joel, God said, I will restore to you the years, years, that the swarming locusts have eaten. We know what love is. Jesus demonstrated it. True love demands sacrifice. Let's ask God to help us love more sacrificially. Every day we need his spirit and his renewal to help us love and fight for our marriages, fight for our children and our families, fight for the church, the people of God, this family. Every day, choosing to love each other with the same love that Jesus showed us. Let that be your proclamation in a world that really needs to know what love is. Psalm 68:11 says this, the Lord announces his word and the women who proclaim it are a great army. Let's all proclaim this word once again together if you would. Won't you join me, 1 John 3:16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life, so also we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers, amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for our time together, and I pray, Lord, that we have all been reminded of your love and what Jesus gave. I pray also, Lord, that we would want to give you something in return. Maybe today, Lord, there's someone here that needs to give you their heart. Maybe they need to rededicate their life or be baptized. Lord, maybe today there are folks here that are really hurting and they just need to give you their burdens. Lord, maybe today we all just need to be more faithful about giving your love away, maybe to a friend, maybe to a neighbor or a coworker, or maybe even to the person sitting right next to us. Whatever the need, Lord, I pray that we would discern and recognize your voice and respond. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Uh, thank you. If you have a decision, thank you. If you have a decision today, you can walk right over there to those doors and there are people there waiting to talk to you. Or if you're online, you can just text the word Jesus to the number on the screen.
Whatever the decision, from my mama's heart to you, don't wait. Remember what a difference one day can make? I pray that you know that you are loved, and thank you so much for coming today, and have a blessed week.